welcome to my office again. So here we go. Are you ready to roll? I'm just going to pray us in one more time here. Lord Jesus, we need your insight. We need the wisdom that comes only from above. Jesus, you talked about descending and ascending and that one day you'll descend again. It's only through your des descending that we can have the truth about ultimate reality. Just not what we see, taste, touch, and feel, Lord, but the very fabric and purpose for all of creation. So I pray that you'd give us insight into our own lives right now, 21st century lives that are, you know, sometimes muddled with all kinds of things running around and the need to provide, the need for health issues, the country we live in, family, oh Lord, we just help us press through all of that and get to the foundational understanding of who you are and what you think about reality and help us do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, church, you ready to roll? We are in Luke now pressing on into verses 12 through 16. I've been kind of looking forward to this for uh, some time. I've been knowing that we're going through the Lukean narrative. I, I knew that we were going to finally come upon the moment where Jesus tra transfers his ministry, begins the process of not just having disciples or learners, because there were many of those. We don't know exactly how many, but many disciples were learning from Jesus, kind of following him around. But now we have this poignant moment in his ministry where he actually chooses. He chooses, and they go from learner, and they move from learner to sent ones or messengers, or we can just say sent messengers. Someone, some men and women, uh, specifically men, the apostles, but then the fullness of these folks who would then take this message really to the ends of the earth. Now, they themselves wouldn't go to the ends of the earth, and for them it was probably the ends of the earth in some ways. Uh, all around the Mediterranean, but that would certainly lead on into the Indo-Europeans and, and many of us now, uh, if you're of Indo-European descent, uh, were a byproduct, for instance, of Lydia, Macedonia, and etc. So this was, a, this was a very significant moment. I've entitled this morning, The Chosen, and, and that's not without uh, understanding of this uh, amazing uh, new presentation of the Gospels and Jesus' life through The Chosen. And if you haven't seen The Chosen, listen to me. You must see The Chosen. You get it on the app, download the app. It's not through traditional media. And I am a huge fan. It was introduced to me by one of our uh, friends at Church of the Red Door, Hollis Sullivan from Fort Worth. He said, you have to see this. I was like, all right, you know, I, I will. And he sent me a link and Finally, I end up watching it, and he said, I've watched this 20 times over. It is so powerful, so well done, you have to see it. But the beauty of even in the title is the choosing of God. And I assumed on, uh, somebody gave me a little DVD in the first season, I think they'll have multiple seasons. The first season, I assumed that was Jesus. But in fact, it's a picture of Peter on the cover of the DVD that you can that you can get. It's Peter, it's, it's about those who Jesus chose. Now, the epicenter of all human history is Jesus himself, but significant to that story is those that he entrusted with the message, and that ends up being not only the original 12 apostles, but that ends up being, that ends up being you and me. And so um, have you ever had something that was just, you know, too good to be true? There was, I don't know how, a few years back, uh, I found this $100 bill on the on the ground. And I looked around and I said, well, how will I turn this in? Somebody, this is significant. You lose $100, $100 to somebody might be very, very significant. It might be their food for the week. I, I don't know. And I looked around and and I was also excited. And if there was nobody to claim it, I'm, you know, I'm going to take Laura out for dinner or something, you know, $100 bill. And uh, it just seemed too good to be true. And guess what? It was. I started looking at it and, and though it looks like a $100 bill, it had this some what appeared to be uh, Japanese uh, writing on it or something. And I started looking and I looked up and it doesn't have the little, it's a fake. It's not a real hundred dollar bill. And, and it was just too good to be true. I think most of us realize, look, if it's too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. And, but, and yet here we arrive at this Luke 6 passage and here's the, this rabbi that, that, that is doing these extraordinary miracles. It would be akin to 
you know, some of you may be near or around at some point in your life, someone that you actually got to know that was real celebrity or really a sports star, someone who commanded a lot of attention. They'd walk into a room and everybody would gather around or, oh, can you believe, or walk into a restaurant, people knew who they were. Maybe you've come in contact with that and in some way it almost feels like kind of a reflected glory at times when you're around somebody that's famous like that. And uh, it just, it's just an amazing thing. Uh, and, and yet that's what these, these guys are experiencing. Here's this more than a sports superstar. Here's someone that can take control of the scene realm. Uh, wow, what do you do with that? And now we get this, and I'm going to read verse 12 through 16. This seems way too good to be true. This guy has to be a fraud or something. I don't know. Why would he choose me? Luke chapter 6, verse 12. It was at this time that Jesus went away to the mountain to pray. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples, his learners to him, Evidently, we don't know exactly how many, and chose 12 of them. So out of this larger group of disciples, people who were learning from him, sitting at his feet, uh, all those that had heard his, about his amazing exploits, and, and now he moves from learners to choosing specifically 12, whom he also named as apostles. Again, apostle is a messenger, someone that's sent with some kind of a message. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew. Some people think Bartholomew and Nathaniel are the same person. Some scholars think not. Uh, I don't. I can't speak to that. I don't know that anybody really knows. There's some of the synoptics. One's mentioned, and other ones they're not mentioned, and so it's a little complicated there. But anyway, we have also Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon, who was called the Zealot. And then Judas, the son of James, and then obviously Judas Iscariot, who would then become a traitor. So there are three primary things I want to look at this morning. First, Jesus again going away to the mountain. Uh, that's very significant for us. It's very instructional for us in our own lives. And then choosing these, who does he choosing? Why is he choosing these guys? It's just so revolutionary. And then I think lastly, what I want to look at this morning is then the choosing of one that he knew would end up betraying him and be complicit in him going to the cross. So those are kind of the three things I want to look at in this brief, just four verses this morning and unpack that a little bit for us, uh, a little bit for us today. Okay, so let's start with this going away to the mountain to pray. Now we get this over and over and over in the life of Jesus. You've got to see for Jesus, and I had alluded to this in one of the past messages, Jesus was relentlessly on task. And the way that in which he was relentlessly on task is he was so connected to the Father. We get this in the Gospel of John, the non-synoptic Gospel of John, where there's a little running commentary, some additional things are kind of added uh, that we don't necessarily get in the synoptics. Jesus' discourse, he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father speaking. Where is he hearing? Where is he saying? And, and this, this very complex relationship of Jesus being both fully man and fully God, and how does that work? And it's, it's complex. Let's just be honest. And yet we know that Jesus was dependent on prayer, on getting away, isolation. We talk about it over and over and over to begin to hear, to, be a, to begin to hear what the Father's instructions are for his next step. So he had a broad understanding of his purpose, clearly. But he also was dependent upon the Father for evidently the, even the choosing of these 12, of these 12 apostles. Listen to the enduring word commentary. Jesus was God, yet he did not simply use his infinite knowledge to pick the apostles. Instead, he prayed all night. Like every other struggle Jesus faced, he faced this one as a man, a man who needed to seek the will of his Father and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, just like we must rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus' reliance is a pattern for us. And let me tell you something, folks, that is so amazingly difficult in practice. We use our past expertise. We use our past patterns, for instance. Well, we did it this way in the past. Let's do it the same way again. And we go about making decisions constantly because we just feel it at the moment or we have an impression or we feel like an expert in some way. Here's Jesus, the creator of all things, and he now submitting himself to becoming a man for this three, three and a half years, and now descends into the earth, takes the form of a bond slave, and gives us a pattern of complete and utter dependence on his father. How can we do any less? And I'm, let me tell you something. I'm talking to me. I'm preaching to me. You guys just can listen in. I say it all the time. All right, Jeff, I'm just talking to, you know, I mean, I'm just talking to me. Jeff, how can you make these decisions? How can you how can you progress? Deciding where I'm going to live, deciding what I'm going to do, deciding all these different things. I'm making constant decisions, a barrage of decisions. Now, Jesus, I don't think we have to seek the Father whether or not we're going to wear blue socks or black socks today or what suit we're going to put on. Maybe we might have an impression one day that I should wear this. I don't know. But certainly in those more significant decisions of life, we must hear the voice of the Holy Spirit if, in fact, we want to stay relentlessly on task. And again, here we have a very significant moment. I mean, imagine, you talk about too good to be true. Revelation 21 verse 14 says that the names of these apostles are going to be on the foundation stones for the wall of the eternal city. And I don't know what all that means, whether that's literal, symbolic. I, I don't completely understand that future picture, but it's obviously they have a very significant role and there's very clear intention on Jesus' part. There were the 12 tribes, and it seems like there's kind of a transfer here of sorts into this new community that will also include Gentiles, what we call the called-out people, the ecclesia, the church. And the foundation of this are these Jews who now are going to be responsible in a very core level to take the message at the expense of most of their lives, certainly their lives in terms of giving up their lives for the cause of Christ, but even martyrdom. This is a big decision. Jesus spends all night in prayer. Let me ask you a question. Are, are there big decisions in your life right now? Has there been some sense that you really should be in prayer about it? I'm not just talking about a throw it up at God kind of thing and just a quick prayer. Lord, just help me with this. And, and then on you go. I'm talking about a dedicated moment in those significant times in life, especially with those whys in the road. This is clearly a why in the road for Jesus. These are going to be the 12 that are going to be responsible once he ascends back to the place that he's always had with the Father. Uh, he's going to be orchestrating this. The Spirit's going to be guiding it, but he's going to use 12 significant bodies, and now he chooses. How does he do it? He does it, well, he does it not, he certainly doesn't do it without uh, bathing it in prayer and requesting and asking, Father, who is it that you've chosen? And then he goes and chooses them. That's very significant. And, and look, I could stop right now and just pack up my bags and go. And we, you, if you could just eat this, these words uh, that we have here in 12 through 16. If you could just eat this and just go, okay, Lord, I choose now to make decisions, these significant decisions, bathed in prayer. If it takes me all night, I'm going to pray all night, but I'm not just going to make these random decisions, these big movement decisions. Now, And sometimes we make these decisions and go, well, I hope God blesses it, and he must have led me to do that. Well, did he lead you? I mean, that's the question that we always have to ask. Is he leading you, and can you have this strong sense of his own direction. And if you can say that in faith and say, yeah, I absolutely know the Lord is leading me. But my experience has been don't move until you hear his voice, even if you have to wait a season or something. Just, just slow down a little bit and spend all night in prayer. So that's number one, one of the key things that I get from this first verse in verse 12. Now, as we progress on, it's just fascinating to me that he hands off this amazing mission of reaching the world 
to some what we would consider very, very strange sources. I mean, at least from a worldly perspective. These are the religious non-experts. I mean, of the 12, we get a, we get a political guy, a zealot that's uh, an insurrectionist, if you will. I mean, who would, who would choose that guy to be for this message of peace, the gospel of good news? And by the way, you know, if you're thinking about who are the 12, we don't have much information on most of the guys. There could have been up to seven or so that were fishermen. Some we know, Peter, James, John, sons of Zebedee. We know that they were fishermen and others, but we don't know exactly. There's a lot we don't know. We get a lot of insight into the primary three, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and Peter, more than we get from the rest. And the others are kind of intermixed in. We get a little information from Thomas, doubting Thomas, poor Thomas, you know. I'm not going to believe until I, you know, feel the nail scars in his hands, you know, and he, he has that opportunity. He just couldn't believe, and that's all we will really know. I mean, church history gives us a little bit more information than he may have taken the gospel on into the East, but we don't know for sure a lot about a lot of these things. Don't know a whole lot about Bartholomew, don't know a whole lot about, we know a little bit more about Matthew, who's obviously responsible for writing one of the gospels, as, as is John. But you've got to understand, folks, that, uh, and by the way, if you're trying to remember the 12, remember there are a couple of Judases, there are a couple of Simons, and there are a couple of James. That gets you halfway. Then if you can just remember Matthew and John and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew, and it gets you pretty close to remembering, okay, who are the disciples? But remember, Mark and Luke were responsible for writing gospels, but they themselves were not part of the original 12. Just to kind of a little bit, for those of you who are kind of new to your Bible, just a little bit of backdrop. So we have a political figure, a zealot. We have a thief, Judas Iscariot. Uh, clearly, the Bible says he's a traitor and a thief. It calls him that uh, because he loved money. And uh, we have a few other you know, indications of some of these folks, some fishermen, uh, certainly a tax collector. But would you choose these people? Some of you uh, may have never... <laughs> Maybe you have a bad feeling about getting chosen. Maybe you were uh, maybe not such an athlete and growing up you had, you know, physical education. I don't know if they have that still, but you had to go out and dodge ball and all this and who gets chosen first and second. Maybe you were middle of the pack. Maybe you got chosen last. And when you start hearing about chosen, you don't, you don't like the concept. Um, I'll never forget one of the, I was trying to think back as I was preparing, think back about a time where I was chosen for something that was really impactful for me. It just seemed too good to be true. Uh, I remember my year that I spent with Bill McCartney, the founder of Promise Keepers, and, and I remember him, he and I started to spend a lot of time on the phone together, would travel together, and he came here to the desert, as some of you may remember, back in uh, 2003, 2004, and, and we had some, and he kind of said, look, you and I are gonna start this kind of ministry. This was post-Promise Keepers, uh, within a year of him leaving Promise Keepers. And uh, I just felt in some ways, here's somebody who'd kind of chosen me. Now, I realized it was, uh, I look back at it now, it was a very significant year in my life. It wasn't my ultimate calling, but it was a very significant year. And I remember that feeling of, wow, here's a guy, I, mean, I still am a complete nobody in ministry, uh, certainly not a religious expert, or uh, uh, I don't even consider myself a career ministry guy. I mean, I was a golf pro for heaven's sake for a, for a long time. And, and here's a guy that, you know, was responsible, one of the most noted guys, and he, he chose me. This is what these folks are feeling. Why me? Of course, Peter's like, well, I, I, of course he chose me. I'm amazing. I mean, you know, so you have the Peter mentalities and some of these other guys maybe kind of, I don't know why I'm getting, I'm being chosen, but I'm, I'm really excited about it. Listen to what Dave Dunham says about Jesus' choices. He says, Jesus chooses the strangest set of followers. And boy, can I raise my hand to that. Jesus defines himself as one who has to come to rescue the social outcasts, the pariahs. He demonstrates it. Now catch this. He demonstrates it in a number of very specific ways. But perhaps the most obvious is his choice of the disciples, or in this case now the apostles. Jesus picks as his followers, a group of social misfit, misfits and outcasts. Why? Well, to demonstrate clearly his love for the marginalized. Jesus does it all backwards. It certainly seems that he's doing this backwards. I mean, who would pick these guys? 
most respected rabbis would have chosen from a, a pool of uh, desirous candidates, the best and the brightest young boys to follow them. Uh, Jesus doesn't do that. However, instead, he personally goes about the city handpicking from a group of grown men who are not qualified to study under him or any rabbi for that matter. They smell of brine. I mean, they, they smell of the stench of turning on their own people, a tax collector, one of the most despised. Jesus chooses fishermen and tax collectors. He chooses the uneducated, and he even chooses the betrayer. Jesus' followers are not only not typical, they are not desirable, but they are the ones that Jesus personally chooses to follow him. He handpicks them. That's a significant point to consider. Fishermen, tax collectors, zealot, political figures, we might say, oh, he's uh, associated. He, he was one of the insurrectionists. That's almost, that's really what the zealots were doing. They were a revolutionary group trying to overthrow the Romans. I mean, this is, this is insurrectionists and a thief. I mean, who would, who would pick these? Did Jesus have the full knowledge of everything? I think he had, yeah, I think the Lord was... The father, he'd submitted himself to being a human. The father was, through these prayer, giving him insight into these, into these men. And, and maybe he was choosing some, not fully knowing. I think, I, you know, that's, again, that challenge between this hypostatic union. Uh, how do you fit humanity and divinity together? And what did he know and what did he not know? And I still think he had to get his knowledge through prayer. Otherwise, why pray? If he already had all the knowledge, why go away and pray all night and then choose? A complex theological subject, to be sure. So, uh, kaleo and eklage. Okay, what does that mean? First, kaleo in the Greek here means to be called. They're like calling out someone's name. I think of it like, hey, Jeffrey. I mean, hey, Jeffrey, If you when you see this movie, you haven't already, these, these uh, episodes of The Chosen, one of the things that grabs me, I mean, brings me to tears is the underdog look when these men are chosen, right? And they take a little theatrical license, a little artistic license. I mean, it's clear. But Matthew, I mean, they, uh, being chosen is one of the most despised of all of his people. And they have these uh, certain scenes, and Jesus is trying to escape the Romans after the paralytic healing. And it was just, again, a little artistic license, but he's running down the stairs and going around, and then he stops never forget it, turns and looks very specifically at Matthew. Have you ever felt that? Jesus calling your name, Kaleo, a, call, a calling, a, hey, Bob, hey, Kathy, hey, Fred. Have you ever, have you sensed that in your spirit or do you just think God's way out there and we try to appease him as best we can and, we believe certain theological principles. Do you have a sense of the intimacy of him calling your name? Hmm. And then, not just calling you, but then eklage, then choosing you. Calling you and then choosing you. Listen to Paul's language here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26. Consider your calling, my brothers talking to the church at Corinth. I mean, talk about misfits. Talk about people. I'd be going like going to Las Vegas and going right into the pit of, you know, whatever, right there on the strip. And Jesus just starting calling out people's names that were, you know, headed off to maybe some sleazy task of some sort, maybe even, you know, prostitution in Nevada or I don't know what. And calling name and then choosing and why don't you follow me? Paul says, consider your calling, brothers, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. I, I can raise my hand. Some of you can't. I mean, some of you, there's, you had a lot of wisdom prior to this and a lot of, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God's chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not so that he might nullify 
the things that are. In other words, he is upending systems, philosophic system, religious system, political systems. He is a revolutionary, Jesus is, and was and is today. He's upending everything. He's turning it upside down. The greatest, well, they're the least, and the least become the greatest, and those who serve are the greatest. I mean, He's just completely upending everything. And it, in this case, that's why he has so many encounters with the religious group. They are high and lofty people, noble and wise in the eyes of so many. And Jesus just upends it and then appoints fishermen and insurrectionists and people that are hated, the tax collectors, the and even a thief. He said that, why does he nullify so that no man may boast before God? And by his doing, you are in Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification. We don't stay unwise, unsanctified, and unrighteous. We move from a place from where we were to a place of righteousness. We're justified now, and we become, over time, through his word, and that's why we're so committed at Church of the Red Door. Line by line, word, the word changes you. Not just something that's gonna help your life, and a little, yeah, there'll be things, all these things help your life, but it's not just about your marriage, and just about raising your kids, or, or, or just about these other things. The world clamors for that. It's about the deep understanding of who you are, and why you're here, and it changes everything. And then verse 31, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. You know, Jesus just doesn't leave any room for any, you know, self-identified special people. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. He uses foolish and spiritually sick and, and unimpressive people. I mean, that's who he uses to prove that God is in some way inaugurating a radically new kingdom. He's upending everything. He's upending the systems as we know it. And let me tell you something, folks. This is revolutionary. And his choosing of these men is in of itself a revolutionary act. Who would do this? Why wouldn't you pick the experts? And by the way, Jesus was not against picking experts. He would pick an expert in religious law and others in Saul, who he would then become Paul, the Apostle Paul. He would have to do a radical surgery in his heart, as he would in all of them. But this is this idea of the new wineskins. Sometimes it takes, you can't pour this new revolutionary uh, movement that Jesus inaugurates, he calls it the kingdom of heaven. He can't pour it into old wineskins as we've seen. It'll burst them. He's got to pour it into something new. But you, would you choose these wineskins? Jesus did. Now, let me just tell you something. If it were not for these selections, there's no way in the world that I would be sitting here talking to our church family and our online community. Zero, zero chance. There's no way I, I should be here. This is too good to be true that God would ever, if he remotely uses me, if you feel like in any way he's ever used me in some way, to in any way impact your life even a tiny bit, it's too good to be true. Who do I think that I am? You're a golf pro, failed marriage, struggle in these areas. I mean, you've got all kinds of issues. What a mess you are. But I heard him call my name. I did, I, not audibly. And I, and I know he chose me. There was Kaleo. There was Eklage. There was a calling, personal calling, and a personal choosing. God doesn't always seek the experts. He'll use experts, but he doesn't always seek the experts. Often he doesn't. Why? To nullify the things that are. Some things have to be upended. And he does it with what Paul would then say that those who are not noble, not wise, 
the foolish things of the world. Now, I couldn't qualify for much when I started my walk with Jesus, but I could qualify in this way. Foolish, bingo. Unqualified, <laughs> yeah, I'll raise my hand. Uh, unwise, just in virtually every part of my life. Ask someone who knew me 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Sit, sit down and have coffee with my parents sometimes. And on other, as I think about it, don't do that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I mean, it's, 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 it's a transformed life, and many of you can say the same thing. So why is this so important? Why? Why? Why the underdogs? Why do we love Rudy and Hoosiers? And I mean, Laura and I just love the underdog movie. Laura even more than I do. I mean, we just pull for the someone who to be brought up that's not recognized, someone who can be pulled up and in some way get a little bit of the spotlight in some way. I mean, it's just, it's so in our heart. That's why these are enduring movies. You know, the Forrest Gumps of the world and all this, they're just enduring because we like seeing someone lifted out of, you know, obscurity and brought into a place. It's not always just the experts or the super talents or the super brilliant or the Mensa people or the super athletes or the super celebrities. It, you know, God uses everybody. Why? Because he loves all people. Secondly, he's, you know, he's preparing heaven and heaven will, I promise you, be devoid of pride and arrogance and all that. And that's what we got from here. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. I, I mean, I just have, there's just nowhere I can ever remotely, if I can never take credit for anything that might ever happen in my life, ministerially. Any boasting is in Christ because I know I know that I'm that guy. Maybe some of you can say that. Some of you may have been experts or deeply trained or philosophically trained, and God will use you, as he did Paul too. But thank God there's room for the unqualified because God can qualify those that he calls and chooses. He can do it. Does that not... That has to lend something to you. Some of you I know have recently come to Jesus or recently been baptized in the last three or four or five years. Can I just tell you, there's no reason. As, you, as God will break you, he'll take you into the wilderness. He'll shatter the things as you know it. He'll upend all the way you think about reality. And when you're through with the wilderness, he will call you to cross and he can use you. He can and he clearly is willing. He's willing to use you. And then lastly, and I want to address this this morning because I think there's no way we can read this passage and not see, well, why in the world did he choose someone he knew would be a traitor? That's how we finish verse 16. Judas Iscariot. There was also Judas, son of Alphaeus, but there's another Judas and Judas Iscariot. Was he a zealot? We don't know exactly. Something that he may have been part of this uh, zealot movement that uh, Simon was, not Simon Peter, but Simon the zealot. Two, remember, two Simons, two James. Uh, and two Judases in terms of uh, their original name. Why would Jesus pick someone he knew would be betray him? Well, John 6, uh, 6, 6 through 71, we're not uh, in the Gospel of John. Jesus asked, uh, do you want to keep following me? And he was talking about, um, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then verse 66, as a result of this, many of the disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the 12, they had already been chosen at this point, you do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, where shall we go? It's you that have the words of eternal life. We've believed and have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered and said, did I myself not choose you? the 12, and yet one of you is a devil. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Did Jesus choose someone that he knew was going to betray him? And why? Well, he did it because the Father had directed him to. At that moment, did the Father reveal up on the mountain that I'm having you choose Judas Iscariot and then immediately reveal to Jesus that he would be someone who would betray him? I kind of have a sense that that probably was the case or was it a little bit down the road, somewhere along the road, Jesus was revealed to Jesus, but this is being revealed to Jesus in his times of solitude and silence and certainly by this, 
by this place, he knew. Did he know when he reached out to Judas Iscariot? Did he know when he said, will you follow me and I'm choosing you as one of these sent ones? Did he know at that moment? I don't know. I think it's all speculation. I have a sense that he did know it at that moment. And of course, then that would brings up the question of, well, why? This kind of brings us to a deeper place that I think that we should discuss. You know, internal betrayal is part of something that not only happened in the life of Jesus, in his inner circle, this is always going to be a part even of the church. There's going to be internal danger, internal betrayal. It's inevitable. It had already crept into the church early on. And I think one of the challenge is that, look, I'm not talking, there's betrayal on multiple levels. I betray many of you. If I forget your birthday or you don't get called, I, I, I try, but I, I know I drop the ball all the time or I think more about myself than I do you. There's there's common little betrayals, but not not, not, not kind of betrayal that I'm referring to here. Uh, the kind that we looked at uh, the last few weeks as it relates to Paul telling Timothy there are going to be those that hold to a form of religion, but they're really deniers of the power uh, of it. And so they're in your midst. Uh, Jesus uh, was clear about this. Acts chapter 20, even Paul's farewell to the church at Ephesus. Here's a new church at Ephesus. He's now bidding it farewell. He says, okay, I'm commending you. You guys keep up the good faith, fight expand the gospel, be part of the Great Commission, and uh, I'm leaving you now. And then he says this in 28. He says, Be on your guard for yourselves and for all your flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he's talking to the leaders, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away, what? Disciples after themselves. In other words, they're going to be self-focused, self-centered, uh, savage wolves that are going to come in and be part of your community. And they're going to be trying to draw people away uh, to themselves. And they have uh, malicious intent. Uh, they, they're maybe driven by greed or whatever it may be. I'm just telling you, church at Ephesus, this is what's going to happen after my departure. That was already happening in the very first uh, few decades after Jesus' ascension to the right hand of the Father. You don't think that that's going to be the case today? Now, I don't want to become, you know, okay, who's the savage wolf? Who's the, I can't, There's no way I could do ministry that way, looking at everybody with some kind of a strange look, but... There is an awareness that internal betrayal is part of doing the business. Now, why? I think God uses all these cases to hone us, to, to, to make us dependent upon the guidance of the Spirit. But we do obviously have an awareness. Jude, chap, uh, Jude no, only one chapter in Jude, verses 4, 12, 13, 16. Listen, listen to what Jude has uh, said here. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. And we're going to see that in a minute with Judas Iscariot. He was already marked out for this. Now, I know this blows our mind because it gets into an, uh, an understanding of God's choosing before the foundations of the earth, and yet Jesus died for the world. And, and look, this gets into Reformation theology and, and Calvinism and all these kinds of things. I, there's no way not to tread on that. We're going to go line by line case-by-case case study, we're going to tread on some of these different theological underpinnings. It's impossible. But right here, I'm just reading the Bible. Some people were marked out for the condemnation long beforehand, as was the case with Judas Iscariot, as we'll see. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast. I, that description captures me. A, a hidden reef, you know what's going on. The water looks so calm and the ship is just kind of sailing along and then it hits a, it hits a hidden reef and it just, it can capsize the boat. Hidden reef. So we're all loving one another. It's beautiful community things, and there will be hidden reefs. They feast with you uh, without fear. What does that mean? Without fear of the Lord. There's no sense in which they're 
really living their life under the ever-present uh, eye of the king of the universe. They care for themselves. They're clouds without water. They're carried along by winds, autumn trees, no fruit. There's no fruit in their life. They're doubly dead. They're uprooted. What does that mean? They're not connected to the vine. As a result, they're unfruitful. They're in, they're among you, they're holding to a form of religion, but they're denying the very life-giving substance that comes. And this is where people get confused about Judas Iscariot. They, and it goes on to say, uh, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. These are harsh, difficult words to, to process. Well, they're grumblers. They find fault everywhere. Following after their own lusts, they speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. So, yes, do I, as, as any pastor, as our pastoral staff and teams of pastors, we have many pastors, not just senior pastor, associate pastor, there are many pastors at Church at the Red Door. Are we aware of those who are constantly finding fault and grumbling? And yeah, I mean, but why? Because we're instructed by the word to just kind of have a cautious eye. Again, I'm not talking about somebody sat in my pew, or somebody sat in my seat at church and, you know, I mean, we all have, we rub up against each other. We see people's insecurities and our imperfections. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who are fundamentally religious in nature, but they are not connected. They are unfruitful. And as a result, we see fault finders, grumblers, you know, people who are looking to gain an advantage. If you don't think I've seen that through multiple decades of ministry, people really just trying to promote their business or promote something like that, and, and they creep their way in, and they may even be deluded enough to thinking that they're part of this community when in fact they are not. They are, well, they're not connected to the vine. I don't like talking about this kind of stuff, but I would be crazy. I, in fact, that would be a dereliction of duty if I didn't understand that there would be internal betrayal even at, in the most precious of communities. Of course, the most notable betrayal of all, as we alluded to earlier, was Judas Iscariot. He will always go down as, you know, he's the Judas. Uh, he, we still use that. You know, he's a Judas. What does that mean? He's a betrayer. And yet God can use men with evil motives to accomplish his purpose. Now, that's what I cling to. When I think about internal betrayal, even within church at the red door, will this occur? It will occur. Has it occurred? You know, I'm not going to get into any details, but sometimes it will occur. I mean, I'm not unaware of the scripture. But even this, God will use to bring us together to accomplish his purposes just as he did with Judas. It's sobering. Matthew chapter 27, listen to this, verse 3. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Now, a lot of people think this was repentance. It's a different word. I don't, I've preached on this before. I won't get into it. His remorse was different than true repentance. He was upset. He was uh, He was beside himself, but it wasn't like I've done something in a deep way. Uh, and I need to return, it, it, it carries, in the Greek, it carries a different kind of a language. Oh, he was upset, and he was disillusioned, for sure. And it led, as we'll see, to his own suicide. But saying, I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood, but they said, what is that to us? See to that yourself. Here's a you know religious hypocrisy like you cannot imagine. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed, and he went away, and he, and he hanged himself. He was hoping that he would maybe play a role in his administration, that they would overcome the Romans if he had some zealot blood in his, in his veins. He just, it was looking good for him, and he thought he would move the process along and pat his pockets at the same time. Well, the chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, it's not lawful to put them into the temple treasury. Hypocrisy! Unbelievable! Since it's the price of blood, of which we were, we hired a hitman, basically. I mean, they were going to do the, they were going to give it to the Romans, but we hired a, a, someone complicit with our hit on Jesus. They conferred together and with the money bought, the potter's field is a burial place for strangers. 
There's a lot of significance to that. I'll allude to one. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, and they took the 30 pieces of silver and the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord had directed me. So Jeremiah had seen this, well, about 600 years before the time of Judas. Zechariah had also seen this coming of a betrayal for the potter's field and this price. Zechariah 11, 12, and 13, now being written, oh, you know, 500-ish years before the time of Jesus. I said to them, if it is good in your sight, give me my wages, but if not, never mind. So they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. That magnificent price. Now this is God speaking at which I was valued by them. So you'd say Jesus claiming to be God, God talking. What's the context here? The Lord is saying I was valued for 30 pieces of silver. So I took the 30 shekels of silver and threw them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Now that's written hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. What does that mean? God used the nefarious purposes, the hardness of the heart, the idolatry of greed in Judas Iscariot to accomplish his very purposes. Now in closing, was this, uh, was this, this had to be like a deluding, a deluding influence Somehow he was so deluded. Have you ever asked? I have friends. You have friends. They're just completely and utterly closed to the things of the Lord. Now, you got to understand, I don't ever determine who has a deluding influence sent into their lives or not. I treat everybody, if they, if they reject the gospel, I continue to preach. I continue to seek them, continue to seek the lost, continue to have those people reconnected with the creator of the universe, with Jesus himself. I will always do that. I don't have that kind of uh, inscrutable knowledge. There's no way. I don't, I cannot function in a way that I determine, but the Bible's clear. God does at times send a deluding influence. Clearly that was the case here because, but why? But there's also, Judas played a role in this. It's not just an innocent victim. Listen, 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. These are people who functionally rejected God. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. One thing we know about Judas Iscariot is that it's clear. The Bible says that he loved this money. He was pilfering from the money that was being collected. He was stashing it in his own pockets. Uh, He had an idol in his life. He loved wickedness. Matthew, on the other hand, loved money, but when Jesus chose him, he dropped it all and went after Jesus at great personal expense to himself. Two guys love money. One loved it to the bitter end. One chose, as we see here, chose the love of the truth so as to be saved. And not only was Matthew saved, he became a name on a foundation stone in the very wall of the eternal city, as we saw in Revelation 21. Now, I don't know about you, But this message, these four verses, both strike the fear of God in me and they equally encourage me. They do both simultaneously. Would God choose me? It's too good to be true. I just don't know how he could choose me. But he chose them. I may not be much. I may not be much, but I maybe can rise to the level of a fisherman. Where are you here this morning? Where are you in your heart? Do you, have you ever had a sense that God's called your name? Do you sense now, even now, that maybe the Lord is calling you by name? Kaleo, calling out. Mr. Smith, Mr. Brown, <laughs> Kathy, Barbara. I mean, do you hear his name? 
And do you sense that he's saying, follow me? I've chosen you to follow me so that, well, so that one day you too might lead others into the way. I'll, I've, I'll gift you. I'll give you certain things. Do you sense that this morning? If you do, you have great encouragement here. You really do. There is no way. Let me tell you something. This is not a fake $100 bill that's being offered. Mm-mm. It's the, it's the message of grace. It's God's call to you. If you sense that in your heart, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, only you can speak to hearts. Maybe there's someone listening right now that's never really heard their name called. Lord, give them a strong sense that you are calling them by name. And Father, now that you call their name, I pray that you would give them a sense that now there's a choice. Would you follow me? I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you. Peter says, he, in 2 Peter, it says that I call and then I, I also choose. Listen, just ask the Lord right now. Lord, are you choosing me? Are you calling me? What, what does your spirit tell you? What does your heart tell you? And then if he is, just say, Lord, I, I'm going to follow you. I choose to follow you. Your life will never be the same. As we see here with these 12, we know what happened. And I'm telling you right now, there's not one of these men, with the exception of Judas Iscariot, who made his own bed. Not one of these men, I promise you, not one, and the women that accompanied them. Zebedee, the son, the father of John and James. His, his wife was Salome. Salome was at the crucifixion. This whole family was pulled into the ministry and the advancement of the gospel, ministry of Jesus first and the advancement of the gospel. It's amazing. Not one of those folks, not Mary Magdalene, not, not any of those that laid down their lives, gave their money, did anything, not one of them has a regret now. I promise you. That call is to you. So now I'm going to turn this back over to uh, Pastor Paul. As is our custom at Church of the Red Door, we do communion the first Sunday of each month. And so uh, I hope you have a wonderful week. Pastor Paul, take it away.